From 11FS, this is Fintech Insider News. Today we bring you Bunk celebrates $228 million in funding, Railsbank raises $70 million in funding in global expansion plans, and Apple partners Goldman Sachs for BNPL Play. All this and more on today's show. But before we start, we just want to tell you about something we're cooking up at 11FS and a quick word from our sponsors. Temenos is the world's leader in banking software, helping over 3,000 banks serve over 1.2 billion people. Our purpose is to make banking better. Together with our community, we make banks more successful, individuals better banked, and society better served. With our software, banks can create more human, differentiated digital experiences, hyper-efficient business models to benefit the bank and their customers, and simplify and transform their back office. Our clients are the highest performing banks with cost income ratios, which are twice better than the industry average. Learn more at temenos.com. Hey folks, over here at 11FS, we're still working hard to build the next generation of financial services and our team is growing quickly. So we're looking for a bunch of new 11s to join us. If you or someone you know is up for a new challenge and a bit of a fintech nerd like us, check out the roles in consulting across product, engineering, design, delivery, and strategy. You'll find all the details at 11fs.com forward slash careers. Welcome to episode 546 of Fintech Insider. My name is Sarah Kachansky and I'm joined by my 11FS colleague making her Fintech Insider co-hosting debut, Amy Gavin. How are you doing today, Amy? I'm doing well, thank you. Excited for my first time on the podcast. Well, we are very pleased to have you. Of course, we are not alone. We're joined by some awesome guests uh, making a very welcome return. We have Ali Nicknam, CEO and founder of Bunk. Welcome back to Fintech Insider. A uh, big week for you guys. We'll get into that a bit later. But for now, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. And I'm really excited to be back. Looking forward to our chat. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And alongside Ali, also making a Fintech Insider return, we have Nigel Verdon, CEO of Rails Bank. Welcome back to Fintech Insider to you too, Nigel, um, and a huge week for you guys as well. Uh, in the meantime, how are you doing? Good, thanks. And it's nice to be invited back again and uh, see new faces too. <laughs> yes, we like to mix things up around here, keep things fresh. Okay, well, we are going to jump straight into today's news. So first up, we have Bunk celebrating $228 million in funding. Amsterdam-based challenger bank Bunk was self-funded by its founder and CEO, Ali Nicknam, for several years before it decided to raise some external capital. Founded in 2012, Ali invested $116.6 million, or 98.7 million euro, of his own capital into Bunk before this round. The startup has now raised the extra $228 million, which is 193 million euro, in a round led by Pollen Street Capital, and Ali has contributed another $29.5 million, or 25 million euro, of his own capital. Uh, the company expects to break even on a monthly basis in 2021 and passed 1 billion euro in user deposits earlier this year. In particular, the company expects to acquire smaller companies to fuel its growth strategy. Okay, Ali, obviously going to come to you first on this. Congratulations on the raise. Um, this is a huge amount of money. Uh, can, can you tell us what it means for you and for Bunk? Thank you very much. Uh, it is great news indeed. And I think we have always had our own strategy to growth and to funding fueled by the lucky position I've been myself, me being a serial entrepreneur, I could uh, comfortably choose when and whom to get aboard for funding. And um, this allowed us to have a super sharp focus 
on our users' wants and needs and really focus on creating a product that our users love to use. And we noticed some time ago that uh, we were really getting traction and we had the right product market fit. And this unlocked a new phase, in my mind, a phase where scaling up and growing is more important and therefore attracting additional capital to make this possible was more important. And therefore we started looking for an additional capital source. At the same time, we felt it was important that somebody brought more to the table than just a bag of money because these days there's more than enough money to go around. And we wanted that partner to align with our values because to me, this not being my first rodeo, uh, getting a partner board really feels like a marriage. So it doesn't matter how things progress. Sooner or later, there will be some kind of bump in the road. And then if you're aligned on things, that bump uh, will mean nothing. If you're not aligned on things, things will start to fall apart. So we've spent a lot of attention to making sure that we're aligned on the bigger themes and questions in life and that we want to approach things in a similar fashion. And um, and you I mean, you chose to participate in this round again, though it sounds like perhaps maybe you didn't need to, or, or maybe you did need to, but was it, was it really important for you to, to continue to be putting your own money behind the company? Well, I think I just didn't and don't want to water down my shares too much in that sense. I very much believe in the company and I also wanted to make sure that uh, us attracting this external financier there could be no doubt that I am still very much bullish on what Bunk is and what we can achieve. So, you know, I figured I make a step too. Yeah, you 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 show that you still but you still believe, you still have skin in the game, as it were. Yes. Quite a lot of skin, I I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, that that is true. Um yeah, just one other one other thing to ask you was that alongside the the fundraising, there's also uh, news of an of an acquisition. Um I believe it was Capital Flow Group, which is an Irish digital specialist business lender. Can you explain sort of the decision behind that to go down that acquisition route at this point in, in the, the company's sort of development? Yes, I'd love to. So Reverting to uh, my intro just now that we were searching for more than just a financier, we were also looking for someone to bring more to the table. Holland Capital had a or has a company in their portfolio that is of interest to us, that being Capital Flow. And it is of interest for us because it will enable Bank to become profitable later this year as we take their loans on our balance sheet. And at the same time, because of all the deposits that we have, it allows capital flow to accelerate their growth. So in my mind, this is really a case where one and one equals three, because we become profitable, capital flow can grow further. We get a bunch of people together that share the same values and see the world in the same fashion. And I think the future is looking pretty bright from where I'm standing. I think it's looking pretty bright from from over here as well. I'm just going to bring the others into the conversation here. I mean, uh, Nigel, uh, I know that you have you have similar experiences to Ali, certainly in going out and getting funding. Um, I just wanted maybe your your comment on the market at the moment. We're, see, we're seeing quite a lot of raises and, and they're going to, to, to very successful companies. Um, but do you think that now is a particularly good time as a company to go out and be, be looking for, for more capital? Do you think investors are, are sort of primed and, and ready at the moment? Uh, if it gives an indication of the market, I get two to three inbound requests from funds every week, and I have, have done so for the past 18 months. 
So there is a because of low interest rates and, and a forecast low interest rate environment, and equity markets artificially held up on basically quantitative easing uh, and money chasing yield at the moment is moving into private markets. There's also enough uh, IPOs and everything going on. And that's probably also a trend that's going to happen or is happening. So there's a ton of money that's gone into growth and companies that may be coming to markets uh, as well. So it's more factors that there's an awful lot of capital around. And so it is a good time to do it. Uh, prices seem to be quite uh, interesting and aggressive at the moment. And that's, I think, just a factor of uh, A, quality companies and B, uh, a ton of capital. Uh, so there's a, it's quite competitive to get into the, the quality companies. So quality, that doesn't mean everybody gets funded. And I haven't actually met Ali, but they've got, sounds like they've got a very similar approach. We're very selective about uh, who we work with too, because it's the core of that. And uh, from, from, I've built and exited two companies. And it's, uh, you need somebody who's got the same core values. And so, and my just observation is, and this is, it's not been hugely critical to the industry, but the emails I get, so there's two or three emails a, a week, uh, they're all exactly the same. And if I get a, a fund manager uh, who, uh, who's pitching non-differentiated a, against another, his competition, why would he want to invest in me? Uh, because I, or want them investing in me because we spend our time differentiating ourselves in the market so our customers buy our product. And the product there is capital. So one of the key things is is looking at the capital, the people, the core values of the company, the real value add they do have. Do they really under, have this? The ones I take the take the calls for of have done deep research on us. Have done deep research on our market. Deep have actually been out to our customers before we've even uh, met them, and uh, are very sort of humble people. Most of it is is all same, same, same. So is it, it's a good time to raise capital if you're a good company. And prices are a little bit toppy at the moment, but uh, it, it's a good environment. Whether it will sustain, it probably will. Uh, and I had a good conversation with, uh, uh, you probably know Steve McLaughlin uh, from FT Partners. Uh, they're, they're investors in us. Uh, they don't raise capital for us, but they're investors in us. And uh, it's we had good conversations about where do we see market going with myself and my, uh, some other colleagues in the, in the hedge fund world. And it's, uh, we see, it, uh, there is, capital available and it will be for the next couple of years uh, but prices may sort of soften a bit uh, compared to now and you've just seen the the 33 billion raise or whatever of, of revolute yes yes no Nigel, have you been around like uh with the dot-com boom yes i went through that yeah Oh, we're not going to go into that today, are we? I read an article earlier which was comparing the um, the, the differences between uh, between now and 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 the, the the late '90s. And one thing I did I did want to, to just bring up, and I'm going to bring Amy in here, is about the um, the the M and A, or, or if you like, or, or you know, Bunk's decision to, to make an acquisition. I mean, Amy, obviously the fintech market is very busy, and particularly you know the the, the new neo banking, digital banking, challenger banks, whichever terminology is your is your preferred one. Um, do you do you think we're going to see more of this kind of the the you know the companies the the size and scale and success of Bunk looking to acquire smaller companies to help them build out their build out their propositions? 
Yeah, and I think that could be really exciting as well, particularly if companies are deciding to build out their propositions towards investments, say, or mortgages and all these different ways that it can go. I think that then acquiring other companies makes a lot of sense and acquiring companies that already succeed in those areas and then using that to make your proposition stronger. So consolidation there kind of seems seems inevitable. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to spin this round now and I'm going to take us on to the next story, which puts Nigel in the hot seat. Okay. So our next story today is that Railsbank has raised money. Uh, Railsbank has raised $70 million in amid global expansion plans. Railsbank, which offers APIs for banking, payment cards and credit products for use by fintechs and other kinds of businesses, has raised $70 million. It follows a $37 million raise in November last year as the firm laid the foundations for its launch in the US. The funds will be used to further expand its various embedded finance products, embedded and finance are in capital letters in my notes here, um, products across Europe, Asia Pacific and North America. Uh, okay, Nigel, obviously I'm going to come to you first on this one. Uh, congratulations. Um, I'm going to I'm going to throw one of your own quotes back at you to, to kick this off, where you, you've been quoted as saying that Rails Bank can be seen as the financial services layer of the internet, transforming the finance industry in the same way that Apple did to the music industry when they created iTunes. So so would you like to expand on that a little bit and perhaps how this additional funding you have helps to kind of to, to, to further that vision and, and, and push it onwards? Sure. The, the fundamental issue is global banking uh, with its issuing accounts, cards, credit uh, is inconsistent around the world uh, and fundamentally broken because there's no real standards. If you look at uh, how the internet uh, proliferated, and I, I just I went through when the when it first was available commercially, I actually used it at university when it uh, when discovered. We used to use it for getting uh, various bits and pieces between different universities when we were doing research. But the uh, the thing that when I went to first went to the commercial world was email was different everywhere. Uh, Apple had their own one, Microsoft had their own, IBM and the mainframes had their own one. And there was a ton of other stuff. And the thing that brought global email together was a thing called, a simple thing called SMTP, Simple Mail Transfer Protocol. And by having a, a simple, a single global standard and a single a standard everybody can communicate on, that enabled email to go across everybody. And that means that's on our, uh, your iPhone will use it. That's on my iPhone. That's a Xiaomi phone. And everything uses that and can communicate. And it's been improved as, uh, as the years gone on. Uh, same with the, the when uh, I remember seeing the very first uh, Mosaic browser was on our trading desk at Swiss Bank or sorry at Nomura at the time, and we wondered one of some of the tech guys were really super excited about it, and we wondered what the hell it was. We said, okay, it can destroy some text and it can destroy some pictures, but they say no, but we can anything can go on it, and uh, again that was based on HTTP Hypertext Transfer Protocol, and it's a, it's changed the world, so. If you look at uh, the music industry, and I'm super close to it, because uh, when I was a kid, I said to, I failed May levels, uh, so when I when I left school, so I said to my father, "Is going to be a fashion musician," and he just said, "Don't tell your mother," which is his hint for saying you're, you you've got some talent, but you're not that talented. Uh, and he was quite right. My friends are talented, and they're now quite well-known musicians, and uh, we've been sort of deeply involved uh, from a hobby perspective and with friends, uh, sort of semi-professional. And some of them became clients in the music industry. And one of the things there, which uh, the, the real power in the music industry was the, the labels. 
And the fact that uh, your your product wasn't digital, not even a CD was particularly digital, the recording mechanism was. So consumption and distribution is quite hard. It's always a physical device. And when Apple launched the iTunes, uh, that was a standard. It's uh, it been invented before, but they made the distribution of that standard. So you could uh, reassemble a digital track and then Spotify and others took it to a different level. And they created a brand new industry on standards. And those standards like MP3 and all the other standards for replaying uh, for, for replaying uh, uh, music. And that also shifted the power from the music labels away from the music labels. So they're still part of the ecosystem of music, but they don't control the power. Now, in the banking world, the banks control and are gatekeepers to payments, uh, to the clearing of currency on the, on the uh, central banks, uh, to credit markets, to capital markets, and they've always acted as gatekeepers. Uh, but within those gatekeepers is all the legacy. And so what we're looking at as defining is standards to have a digital account, a digital send money, a digital receive money, a digital issue card, a digital uh, uh, spend money on a card, and uh, uh, issue insurance policy. Have those standards, make them global, and then we can become literally a less standardization layer of financial services. So people can then use those standards and embed them in their processes. And so the same thing going all the way back to email, you, you have no idea you're using SMTP uh, to communicate your email, even if you're using Outlook, God forbid, or using Gmail, whatever, it is all SMTP in the back end, how we're all communicating. Uh, same sort of thing with RailsBank. We want people not to care about it whatsoever. We'll give global standards and global access using our regulatory licenses, our technology operations. And so we can make it a, a standard for, for people to create uh, new financial experiences or embed financial experiences within the existing customer journeys, not just fintech. Uh, we just signed up McLaren Racing, for example, and they're going to be looking at how to engage customer base uh, using finance or financial products. So that's that's where that quote comes from. It's, uh, I've seen the music industry massively changed and, and post that change of the power coming out of the, the, the record labels into the uh, uh, and into more of the actual artists as well, because they can go direct to consumer with, with SoundCloud, Spotify, and, and YouTube, Deezer, and everything, is uh, the industry is now massively thriving. If you look at the financial services industry, especially banking, the 6,000 or so banks you've got in the US, more than sub-scale, uh, sub and you've got that very much around the world, and you look at the return on equity on the majority of banks, it's all very sub-scale. We, we're quite excited to see if we can help manage a, 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 a structural change in our industry to the banks still playing a massive role. And Goldman are probably at the forefront and SEB on this because they're putting APIs around their balance sheet. Uh, so they're, they're, they participate in a different way. Uh, the economics of the banking can also change because what's killing them on knees is it's about uh, $350 for capital acquisition cost, uh, $250 uh, lifetime value X lending. And you've got a uh, around uh, twenty to fifteen twenty five bucks a month operating opex cost to uh, run a current account. So every customer of yours is losing eight hundred bucks or so, and that structurally is because of all the legacy within the, within the industry and the, and the structures. So if we can free that up and change the industry, change the way that if you can originate a loan instead of three fifty bucks, it's uh, ten bucks to originate an asset to get in your balance sheet. We make a better place for everything. We can get great financial inclusion. 
and we create a better, better industry. So that's where that quote comes from. I mean, and I think I think this embedded finance trend is is, is really going somewhere. Um, and I think you know that idea about financial inclusion is, is so important because it, it, what it does is it puts finance sort of front and center, and it enables it to be contextual. I mean, Ali, I just want to, to throw to to you here. You know, uh, Nigel's done a, a really good job there, a great job there of explaining the importance and the need for kind of embedded finance and how you you need to have a standard that that everybody can kind of adhere to. I mean, do do you see? You know, what do you think about this? trend of embedded finance generally? Do you see it as something that's just going to grow and grow? Well, I think if you let things develop in their natural course, uh, standards would have been there already. So I, in my mind, there can be no discussion that there should be standards and that there will be standards. The more interesting uh, question to ask perhaps is why aren't there already standards? And I think that the real answer to that is not necessarily the legacy at the banks or the banks or whatever, but more so all the regulation and the differences in the regulation from one region to the next. So I fully uh, agree with Nigel there, although I do wonder uh, whoever invented SMTP didn't make any money on it. Whoever invented MP3 only made a little bit of money on it, Fraunhofer. So um, uh, I salute you for doing the world a service, I guess. <laughs> um, and I just want to just just to go to to you, Amy. Finally, on this this point, I mean, one one way to describe uh, RailsBank is is banking as a service, and I suppose that's maybe a, a smaller part of the greater embedded finance trend. And um, I just wondered if you had any thoughts on on you know banking as a service itself as a trend. You know, we've seen quite a lot of money going going to companies that um, describe themselves or are described as as banking as a service companies. Then there are so many different definitions, and I, I won't ask you to give me yours today. Um, but you know, what, is there anything particularly exciting or interesting you're seeing in that space, in that trend? Is it? Do you think it's something that make big banks should be scared of, or is it something that they should get their teeth into and participate in, and it would it would help them to d- develop and, and keep up with you know today's today's modern world? Yeah, I mean, I think they should absolutely be scared of it if it's something that they're not willing to participate in. I mean, the the pace at which it can advance will be so much greater if um, banks can participate in it and and together work out a way to incorporate banking as a service into their businesses but i think for those for those that don't they really will get left behind in this in this context yeah no i think it's um it's it's something that we we've looked at a lot here at 11fs and i think i think that i think the thing that we're going to have to decide between us uh, in talking about standards is we're going to have to decide on a definition of embedded finance and we're going to have to decide on a definition of banking as a service nigel do you want to just to finish us off before the break do you want to give us your definition of banking as a service or are you going to tell me that you don't think rails bank is banking as a service and it's something completely different i think uh the we bank and service is just a product uh which is issue account send money receive money and collect money and on the local rails that's all it is there's nothing more sophisticated from it uh cards as a service is issue cards so we break it down as a product there's a lot of there's all happened in the media with all these definitions on banks and service platform and everything without any real i think deep understanding of what it is because they all think it's core banking but it's not core banking it's uh, but it's just those, literally those four capabilities as we define banker service. But embedded finance, we, 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 we do have a, a view on that is it's taking the world of finance and it's making it outcome based around the consumer or the SME rather than product based. And one of the, the, uh, and I think Frank Rockman from QD Investors, the ex Capital One CFO, made a very wonderful paper of called the Copernicus Moment of Banking. 
of uh, the because a lot of the mindset uh, of uh, the financial services industry, banking and insurance, it's all product based and all around the organisation, as opposed to consumer outcome based. And I think the the, the way it's so embedded because it's embedded in somebody else's uh, or somebody's customer journey, and customer journeys are always generally about outcomes. And it's a, it's a shift beyond the, just having a digitized branch, which is the, I can't still don't understand why lots of Barclays and everybody spends billions putting a same app on everybody's phone. There's just truly innovative ones. But, uh, the, when you start looking at outcomes of, uh, being have like a dynamic, for example, credit line rather than having a mortgage, uh, a loan, a car loan, uh, <clears throat> an overdraft, they're, they're all credit. And so why don't you just have a credit line? that's orchestrated across different sources of capital. So I, I think it's I think that's absolutely the point. And I think, you know, Ali and Amy would agree that, you know, the, the future of finance is contextual and it's consumer outcome based. It's not. We need to move away from just selling and buying products and services because consumers don't understand them. They don't do the jobs they need them to do. Um, and actually, if you're just selling a product, it's very hard to differentiate. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick pause here while you hear from our sponsors. We will be back shortly. Customers expect more from their digital experience, and their personal finance is no exception. BlueShift empowers fintechs and financial institutions to create secure customer profiles and intentional, relevant experiences for customers. Whether in-app, on-site, in-branch, or anywhere else, BlueShift's Smart Hub CDP helps brands like LendingTree and ClearScore turn data into personalized experiences that increase retention, satisfaction, and revenue. Learn more about BlueShift at blueshift.com forward slash 11FS. Blockchain Insider, our podcast dedicated to all things crypto, is back by popular demand. Join me, Simon Taylor, alongside Visa's head of crypto, Kai Sheffield, as we're joined every other week by special guests to discuss their take on the hottest crypto news. We'll also be diving into DeFi, stablecoins, NFTs, and a whole lot more. New episodes drop every other Wednesday. Listen and subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. So our first story in this half is that NatWest has launched a carbon footprint tracker for its mobile banking app. Uh, NatWest has launched the new carbon calculator tool that allows its customers to see the carbon emissions associated with their daily spending. Following a successful pilot, the feature will be rolled out to roughly 8 million people who use NatWest's mobile app, the bank announced. The tool, which has been created by tech platform Kogo, offers hints and tips for users on how to curb their environmental impact and use resources more efficiently, according to the update. Users will be able to log their commitments and behavioural changes, it added. NatWest retail banking CEO David Lindberg said the carbon footprint tracker was a really important first step in making it easy for everyone to live and spend in a greener way using the power of money to influence change. Um, so, you know, Ali, to come to you first on, on this one, um, Bunk obviously has, you know, its own uh, green credentials, I suppose. Um, so Bunk's Easy Green customers apparently contributed to over one million trees being planted in 2020. Um, can you can you tell us a bit more about that and kind of, you know, what, what why you think it's important to associate uh, not necessarily even just green credentials, but environmental concerns with finance? You know, why it's something that you decided that you were, you were going to bring in to, to Bunk's offering? That's a great question, and it's uh, some great news from NatWest if they indeed pull it off and can instill behavioral change in an easy way for their for their customers. Because to answer your question, I think the roots of Bunk have always been to bring about a positive change to the world. 
we were launched as a reaction to the financial crisis, the previous financial crisis, not the upcoming one. I know I have to keep saying that to people. I mean, the last one, you know, the one we used to, yeah, yeah. the previous one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nine, like nine years ago. And uh, we figured we do things differently so that we could uh, hopefully inspire others to, to follow and to understand that um, banking doesn't need to be uh, the way it was. And um, uh, that's very uh, strongly present in our DNA. And so about two years ago, uh, we decided on taking that a step further. As we all know, um, the environment uh, isn't in its best shape. Um, actually, when when we say that, I think it's good to realize that um, when we say the environment isn't in its best, best shape, we mean it isn't in its best shape for us to live in because ultimately the world doesn't care. Species will come and go. The world will continue to move on. It's the question is more that uh, whether it will be with or without us. And so in the best interest of all humanity, we need to take care of, of the environment. And we have been thinking for quite some time on how we could contribute our bit. And obviously, we do that with environmentally sustainable investments. So our balance sheet only gets invested in, in, uh, in green bonds and you know, environmentally sustainable uh, companies. But at the same time, Bunk always tries to t take it a bit uh, further and to understand what the wants and needs of our users are and how we can empower them to do what they what they want to do. And we run the, the maths on it and we figured that if we would plant a tree for every 100 euros people spend with their card, on average, based on the demographics we have in our user base, our users would become CO2 free in just two years. And so about two years ago, we started with this uh, easy green plan, and um, uh, we have already planted over 3.7 million trees. So that is quite an impressive number. Sorry, um, I had the wrong number in front of me. I do apologize, but uh, no, it's no, still over a million. Yeah. <laughs> I think we did a million in the first year, and we are now two years ahead, and it's 3.7 million. So it's picking up pace as well. So from that regard, I'm happy to see that NatWest is uh, taking up the, the challenge to do something on their end as well. And I hope more will follow. I mean, I mean, Amy, just to bring you here and, and follow on from, from Ali's point there, do you think that this is um, something we're going to see more of? And, and I think the question as well is, is it something that's going to be actually have an impact? Or do you think there's an element from some organisations of perhaps performative greenwashing, whichever term you might want to bring in? So I suppose, on the one hand, you know, do you think that there is a trend here? Are we going to see more people following, you know, the trailblazers like Lightbunk? Um, and, and on the other hand, do you think some of those people who are following are perhaps doing it just to go to on the bandwagon and, um, and and what they're doing is maybe not as impactful as, as some other things they, they could choose to do instead. Yeah, certainly a lot of providers seem to be incorporating these carbon insights into their apps. Klarna, for example, recently added carbon insights tracking to its app. And I think that's a particularly potentially ironic one because if somebody is, is tracking their carbon footprint and, and bothered about what their carbon footprint looks like, then would they be buying cheap clothes off ASOS using Klarna? But um, I think the question, and you touched on it there, but is how useful really are these features for customers? And I think it's kind of similar to spending categorization and also budgeting tools where there's potentially a little bit of features for features sake and 
how many people use these tools to manage their money and maybe more importantly, actually change their behavior as a result of seeing the impact of their spending. And I thought it was interesting that statistic that 55% of people changed their behavior um, based on viewing their spending insights that 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 was NatWest's statistic. And that seemed really high to me. I I don't know what anybody else thought of that, but I, that to me seems like quite a lot of people changing their behavior based on that. And, and I'm surprised. It kind of depends on what they mean by changing your behavior. Sorry, Ali, jump in, please. Yeah, if those 55% is accurate, I believe that all banks should do it tomorrow and we'll be <laughs> done with all the issues we're having. <laughs> yeah, solved. Problem solved. Let's move on. Yeah, on to the next. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's done. Um, Nigel, just just to, just to finish with you, it, you know, do, what are you, what are your thoughts on this trend? You know, is it is it something that you're seeing uh, maybe demand for among among Rails Bank's customers? Yeah, we we've been doing some work with Mastercard to give some frameworks for our customers who've been asking for them to give uh, sort of again coming back to trees. Uh, so every spend plants an X number of trees. Uh, the carbon one I wasn't aware of, to be honest. Uh, I've seen the carbon one in the CPOT industry where you can buy uh, the capability of offsetting, uh, it's called carbon offset, the name of the company, uh, the CPOTs, uh, what do you call it, thing, where it's sort of a quite small market. So the the, uh, the observation anyway is on, say, even somewhat Noom, the slimming app, or the uh, the sort of like eat properly app, as soon as you give data to people uh, and how their their behavior impacts data, and there's a lot of science uh, and writing on this and behavioral change for many years, you can actually make change. And what I do, I do like is the fact that NatWest has come out, and hopefully it's not a stump, but it's actually that they're being meaningful about it uh, to uh, to actually make change. Because if you can do that, you can get consumers to make change, then you get good outcomes. And most of the times, our people say, "I'd love to do something." But how can I meaningfully do it? Uh, and to do change, and if you see micro change, and you can see it happening in front of your eyes, mm. yeah, you you do get people's uh, motivations uh, to, to change. So I, I celebrate it. I'd be a cynic because it'd be uh, it's that West having seen Bo and all that lot happen. But uh, uh, I, I take my hat off, and uh, more more of it's good. Yeah, if it's fifty five percent, that's a phenomenal number. If it's if it's correct. And the hats off to you, Ali. So I didn't realise you had that in there either. <laughs> Wait, you, th- you thought I might have been making it up, Nigel? <laughs> you thought I was just like, I just give Ali. Yeah. I think we, we all have a social responsibility, and uh, we set up Wells Bank to change the economics industries so to to do financial inclusion. We don't harp on about it until we've actually done it. And then we say, Hey, Tada, we've actually done financial inclusion. Here, guys, we haven't talked about it. But the, if you can make change, uh, I think we've got a role in society to do that. Some people don't want to make change and some people live in such dire such circumstances, very difficult uh, to contribute. But in society, wealthy societies, I think we have a responsibility to do that. Absolutely. And I, and I, and I think for what it's worth, my opinion on this is that we're going to continue to see more more and more of this. Um, I think we are going to see a mixture of things that are, are meaningful. Um, and the other thing that I would like to know more about is how organisations are measuring the impact. So 55% is great. But, you know, as I said, what behavioural change is that? Is it they start, you know, using their recycling bins properly? Or is it that they stop buying clothes that are produced in, you know, far flung parts of the world for, for, for people who are paid, you know, less than the poverty line or less than the minimum wage? So um, I think something that the next thing to follow for me would be some kind of KPIs to go alongside these measures so that they can be tracked. 
Um, all right, I'm going to move us on now to the Buy Now, Pay Later Roundup, which is a new section I wasn't aware we had. It's to do with the number of new stories this week in this space. So first up, Apple partners Goldman Sachs for BNPL Play. So Apple will work with the bank to develop a buy now, pay later service that lets customers pay for Apple Pay purchases in installments, according to Bloomberg. Dubbed Apple Pay Later, particularly inventive, I think, Goldman Sachs will be the lender to cover the installments. Uh, BNPL will be available for all Apple Pay purchases made with any card. Meanwhile, Apple is also exploring the introduction of temporary digital Apple Pay Later cards for one-off purchases. Additionally, this week, other announcements, uh, select other announcements included. PayPal debuts a no-fee BNPL product in Australia. Klarna acquires social so- social shopping whew, startup Hero, bringing in-store retailer expertise to the online shopping experience. And Socure announced the introduction of the first in the first identity verification and fraud solution built for the buy now pay later industry. Also, research published this week by money.co.uk reveals that the average time UK shoppers say it will take them to clear their BNPL debts is now nine months, well in excess of the 30 to 90 day windows most schemes are based on. Okay, Amy, you have done a lot of research for our clients, 11FS on this space. I know because I've worked with you on a number of them. Um, let's let's start off with, you know, Goldman and Apple. What, what are your thoughts on them breaking into this space? You know, what, what impact might it have? And, 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 you know, what do you think may be behind their decision to do so? Yeah, I think the first thought really is excitement because two huge brands that make a success of everything they do really moving into one of the hottest areas of fintech. And I think it also confirms that Apple wants to push further into financial services and has seen the market as a real attractive way to grow its business, as so many big tech firms have. I think it also potentially confirms that we're likely to see some consolidation in the market, because as Goldman and Apple enter, that's likely to squeeze out some of the smaller firms and make it difficult for them to be competitive against these huge brands. And particularly, this is likely if Apple's pay later offering is going to be linked to Apple Pay because it's already got these Apple Pay customers and it will essentially be making it incredibly easy and convenient for them to use Apple's solution. And it's a bit of a no-brainer really that they would use that over other solutions and and why they want to use another service if, if their card is already set up with Apple Pay and the option is there, then I think it makes sense. Would you say it's too easy, perhaps? Just just picking up on that, the, the, the survey results there or the study results. I mean, I know they're from the UK, but I think that UK behaviour and shopping trends is, is possibly, I don't imagine it'd be too different in the US, let me put it that way, or Australia or New Zealand, where these, these services are very widespread. Do you, do you, what are your thoughts on, on kind of, is, is it concerning the widespread adoption of these services? And, and perhaps, you know, maybe there needs to be greater guardrails around them or, 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 you know, I don't know, maybe you think they're brilliant. Yeah, I think, well, used in the right way. Um, they're incredibly sort of in, in a lot of ways, services that do enable people who use them in the right way to do things. But then actually, I think it is incredibly worrying that stat you mentioned about the average time UK shoppers set will take them to clear their BNPL debts is nine months. I mean, that's mad if you think that a lot of these um, offerings like like Klarna's Pay in 3, for example, that's just designed to be for 90 days. So the fact that it's, it's taking people well in excess of that to actually clear their debts is certainly worrying. 
I mean, so what do, what do we do then? I'll, I'll throw this out to the group. What do we do about a service that is proliferating, you know, left, right and centre, seeing huge customer adoption, but is obviously in some circumstances causing customer harm? Do we think it's regulation? Do we think the market will straighten itself out? I don't know, Ali, you're pulling a face at me. I can't tell if you don't like the question or... Uh... <laughs> no, no, I like the question. So the interesting thing here is that uh, uh, regulation is already in place. And this is one of the things where Europe doesn't have a unified approach. I know for a fact that the Dutch regulator is very strict. We limit maximum lending rates quite harshly. And I think we do it here much more stringently than most other uh, countries I know of. Um, And also, I believe here, there are all kinds of rules and regulations around if you provide a loan that you have the duty of care to make sure that a person can bear that loan and they're serious about it as a result of which i believe uh, this situation in the netherlands is not as bad as it is in some more anglo-american countries now on a wider scheme of things is that a good or a bad thing it's it's a tough call but i do believe that you know talking about sustainability talking about where we are today in the world, more consumerism and more super huge corporates making more money off of the back of of people isn't necessarily the best thing. Mm. Yeah, okay, fair enough. No, I I understand your point, absolutely. Uh, Just encouraging people to spend more for the sake of it. And to go back to that point, it's about sustainability. Should we be going, oh, well, I can't really afford those shoes or that top or whatever it is, but I can just put it on installments and then I'll have it and it's mine. And I think that's something that particularly struck me. I think Amy made the point earlier about Klarna and ASOS and, you know, should you be using Klarna or, or a similar system to pay for something from ASOS? Yes, buy now, pay later. Perhaps if you're buying a fridge or getting your boiler replaced, I can see exactly. where there's a use case yeah. for that because it's, it's it's something you need in your home and it, not many people have that money to, to hand. But I also happen to know, because we looked this up, that you can use Klarna to do pay in three installments for anything on ASOS, including a pack of socks worth one ninety nine, which seems <laughs> possibly, possibly just, just, just to make my point there, that perhaps maybe these these services are being applied indiscriminately. Um, and Nigel, you know, to come to you, is, is this the sort of thing that, I mean, again, do you, do you have customers asking for provision of this kind of service? Or, you know, or, or actually, I know you were, you were sort of nodding along to Ali there. Do you have thoughts more broadly on, on this industry? Yeah, uh, yeah. credit is uh, in the consumer's hands. That's a double-edged sword. It's a massive enabler, but it's also a massive uh, noose as, as well. And credit was also contributor towards credit crunch because all those loans were uh, packaged up given a double a rating by moody's or someone and then sold out the back end to uh, to funds that uh, couldn't uh, thought they're buying triple a and then ended up with absolutely nothing credit in itself uh, philosophically is a good thing uh, if used in the right way uh, same with options people credit uh, like uh, uh, buffett warren buffett yes always used to crit- uh, criticize people using options uh, and things. Options are very useful at protecting some uh, ways you're trading and you're hedging, uh, but can also create massive downsides. So can credit uh, for people uh, as well. So use responsibly, yes. Use in the right use case, yes. And it is a question of uh, should regulation be able to pay for your socks in three installments? Uh, it's almost like there's, there's an insanity check 
uh, of is this an insane use case uh, that uh, the regulator put that sometimes sense doesn't come forward. And I agree with Ali, uh, I, I lived in France for 18 years where it's very strict regulation around lending uh, as well. And I've lived in Anglo-Saxon countries, uh, uh, born in Germany, I was brought up all over the world. Uh, and uh, there is a country's really got a, a stronger sort of sense of uh, using credit, like credit cards are hardly used in France at all, for example. Mm. There or is, Germany. Uh, or Germany as well, yeah. They're not great credit markets. But the uh, using that to inspire somebody to get credit, to go something to somebody else making yet another margin on, on a product, is uh, that's questionable for society. If it's credit enabling something to do something that they need to do as well and, and helps them financially and gives them a good outcome, and it's all come back to outcomes, credit's a great product. So... I'm for it in the right use cases, but the downsides, will regulation protect it? Some countries, yes. Other countries, they, they say it's all down to consumer and very less protected, so the US, UK and others. Mm. Yeah, I, I think we're all on the same page. I think, you know, Amy, Amy started it and I think that Ali and Nigel, you've agreed with this this comment that used responsibly, credit products can be great. The question is that pe- some people are clearly using these products irresponsibly. The question is... Is it the regulator's role to stop them doing so? Or if it's not, whose role is it? Uh, you know, and, and, and it's going to be an interesting one. But I do think that regulators across the world are taking an interest. And I and I think some of the players are more than ready for them. I think Klarna is ready and waiting for anything any regulator wants to talk to it about. All right, but I'm just going to move us on. In this part of the show, we want to quickly round up some of the other stories from the week that we didn't have time to cover, but which we think still deserve a shout out. Um, Amy, do you want to kick us off? Sure. So the first story is US prop tech Better Hold Co has acquired UK mortgage provider Trussell. And this story is about New York-based Better Hold Co. Inc., or Better as it's more commonly known, has struck a deal to acquire British mortgage and insurance broker Trussell. Better has so far funded $30.9 billion of home loans and provided over $7 billion in insurance coverage, while Trussell has sourced over £2.7 billion of mortgage approvals here in the UK, and $1.1 billion of that is in the last 12 months alone. With the acquisition of Trussell, Better's hoping to tap into the £1.5 trillion mortgage sector here in the UK by using the team's extensive knowledge of the UK's mortgage minefield and applying Better's technology to help make home buying easier for UK home buyers. Additionally, this week, RVU, owners of USwitch, Confuse.com and Money.co.uk have announced its plan to acquire Mojo Mortgages. So there's a lot happening in the mortgage space at the moment. Um, and it's all really about using tech to make that process easier for home buyers. And I think it will be very exciting to see what other acquisitions and what other activity takes place here around mortgages over the next few months. All right. Well, our next story today is that NAB is investing 160 million Australian dollars in a branch revamp. So NAB says that 93% of its customer interactions now take place via the bank's app, online, over the phone or through video. However, despite the rise of these digital channels during the pandemic, it insists that branches are still important and is putting $100 million into refurbishments later this year, following on from a $60 million investment in 2020. 
Changes include a new look design and open plan layout with meeting spaces for customers to have important conversations. More digital services like self-service digital bars and self-service machines that are available 24 hours a day are also being installed. The bank is also opening four new smaller branches this year. Um, So I think this is really interesting. I think branches still have a role to play, particularly when you're talking about providing access to financial services for more vulnerable customers, because there will always be people out there who, for whatever reason, cannot access digital services without help. It may be that they are scared of them. It may be that they simply don't know where to start. Or it may be that they just don't have access to the internet or a device. So I think, you know, if if what NAB is doing is making these, these, turning these branches into self-service hubs, if you like, but presumably still with some staff on hand to offer support if people, you know, are unsure or need some help. That's a really good way to bring everybody along with kind of this this digital, uh, along the digital journey and make sure that everybody can continue to access the, the, the services and products they need. So so I think, you know, it, it, it could be laughed at by people saying, oh, why are they investing in branches when everybody's moving to digital? But I actually think it's, it's, it's quite a good idea and, and it could really help make sure that we don't leave anybody behind. And the next story is about Tide. So Tide Banking has been valued at $650 million after securing $100 million in funding. Tide Banking, the UK fintech startup, has raised over $100 million in Series C funding, bringing its valuation to over $650 million or £468 million. The four-year-old startup has raised a total of $200 million to date, including the latest funding. The business saw its UK customer base more than double during 2020 and announced its plans for a full launch in India by 2022. It now has more than 350,000 customers, accounting for a UK SME banking share of more than 6%. Tide, in partnership with ClearBank, has also been awarded nearly $120 million in total from grants from the RBS Alternative Remedies Package. What really stands out for me here is that Tide has established a 6% share of the SME market and the fact that it's also doubled, more than doubled its customer base during 2020, I think is fantastic. And actually, coronavirus over the last year and the way that that has impacted SMEs, I think Tide was one of the first non-bank lenders to be accredited to the government's coronavirus loan scheme. And actually, it will have built substantial customer loyalty over the last year. It took a bit of time for non-bank lenders to be accredited, but in that time, Tide used its platforms to really connect with customers and to give SMEs useful information um, and useful tools that could help them during that really difficult time. For example, it launched um, an eligibility checker that SMEs could use to find out what support from the UK government their business could get during coronavirus. And I think things like this has really helped to establish a loyal customer base for Tide and clearly resulted um, in in great growth for the company. So it's exciting to think about what they can achieve and, and how they can grow that market share. Okay, well, at that point, let's bring everybody back for the and finally story of the week. So our and finally story is that Nude lets couples team up to see each other's savings progress. So Nude is a finance app specifically for first-time homebuyers. 
It's launched its Team Up feature that instantly gives couples or friends or family members the ability to view each other's lifetime ISA balance and how close they are to a collective savings goal. So the caveat on this is that it isn't open banking. Uh, everybody has to be, all participants have to be using Nude's own uh, LISA, lifetime ISA product to save, which may or may not suit their savings plans. Nude Stocks and Shares Lifetime ISA gives savers tax-free access to BlackRock's MyMap 5 Select ESG fund. Goodness me, naming things, people, um, with the help of the government's 25% top-up. I should point out this is a UK product that the UK government has launched to try and encourage home ownership, um, but, you know, to, to help people you know, find it easier to, to save a bit of deposit for a, for a first home. Um, the thing about this particular product is that it comes with a £2 a month charge plus a 0.35% year platform fee and a 0.17% per year product fee. So you're paying to save, which is interesting. Um, I'm Amy, I'm going to come to you first because I'm fairly sure I know that you've had a LISA at some point in your in your career in your in your career, in your home buying career. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I've I have had a LISA. I I didn't actually use it to buy a house. Mine's going to be for retirement. Um <laughs> Because you have those two options, whether to use it to buy a house with certain criteria attached to it or whether to use it and draw down on it. I think from the age of 60. No, what, what's funny about this, that just the name nude and don't Google nude Lisa because Lisa is also Lisa because <laughs> I made that mistake <laughs> earlier. But um, it's interesting. So I suppose in this case, it's just applicable to when you're using a lifetime ISA for home buying, right? Rather than would it still apply in the retirement sense or would I don't know, it's not clear. I think I think it's to do with if you're just buying a property together. I guess the question for you, Amy, is if you were using it to buy a property, would you would you be willing to like do you think it would spur you on if you and the person you're buying a house with could see each other's goals? Do you think that would spur you on? Or do you think it would make you bit bitter? What, what, what kind of response do you think it would be if you and the person you bought a house with were like looking at each other's kind of savings goals? I think it's a good idea. I think that idea of healthy competition, like, and if, if you're both saving towards it and holding each other a to account, you're more likely to reach those savings goals, I think. So yeah, potentially a good idea there. And I suppose the way that you would contribute to a LISA is likely to be via a direct debit and maybe top ups as you go along and have that money available. So I think, yeah, working together to do that, I think makes a lot of sense. Ali, Nigel, what are, just before we finish up today, what are your thoughts on this? Ali, I'll come to you first. And then Nigel, you know, what do you, what do you think about this idea of being able to see somebody else's savings? I mean, the, the, you know, the idea being that you're saving for a a combined goal, I should point out. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a great idea. In fact, we already have it at Bank, obviously. <laughs> of course. A, uh, we have a savings goal feature that might either be your, your own or you can share it with uh, some of your friends. And we actually see it's being used quite often for uh, medium-term goals. Uh, for example, four friends want to go on a holiday together, they start saving, they open a savings goal together, they know what their target is and they work towards it. And if anybody dares falling out of the boat, they course correct and they make sure they hit their goal. So we actually do see it work. So, you know, it's great. And and Nigel, how about you? What are your thoughts? Would you would you be willing to let somebody else see your your participation in a savings goal? Yeah, I mean the the the, the concept is actually fine. I don't say an issue of the concept. What my concern is that when you when you mentioned it was uh, you had to use this and use there, so it's a sales mm. tool to drive people into a single product, which I disagree with. 
probably like earlier, we believe in open standards wherever possible. So uh, if it was open and it would that you could choose whatever license you wanted behind it, that sounds a great idea. But if it's driving you into one product, which might necessarily be the the, the right product for you, either or the performance uh, for you, uh, I, I would would have concerns. But the concept, love it, fine. I don't. I'm not really. It's, I'm a competitive person, I like competing with people. And I think contrary to you know um, credit, this is actually healthy financial behavior. So that's a good thing as well. Yeah, there is the argument that, you know, I completely agree with you, Nigel, if you're being pushed into using a specific product without any option of knowing whether it's the right one for you, that is, is possibly, you know, that, that should be questioned. But if at the end of the day, everybody is saving more, that's probably a good thing in today's climate. All right, well, we're going to wrap up this week's news show there. Thank you so much to all of my guests. Uh, where can people find out more about you, uh, Nigel? They can go to railsbank.com or LinkedIn, connect to me. I'm the only Nigel Verdon on LinkedIn, I believe, so far. <laughs> so far. Um, Ali, how about you? Uh, get the Bunk app on App Store or Google Play Store. It's B-U-N-Q and you'll recognize it with the rainbow flag. And have a great time using it. Perfect. And Amy, how about you? Yes, um, you can contact me on LinkedIn or email amy.gavin at 11fs.com. Wonderful. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Kajansky. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, do subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps to make it better and it does help others to find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email podcasts at 11fs.com. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.